0: I invite you to open, in the back of the songbooks, to the Belgic Confession of Faith, Article 25, on page 864, which is titled, The Fulfillment of the Law. Article 25, the Belgic Confession of Faith this um, confession as a summary and teaching tool uh, which we call one of the three forms of unity in our churches. It's sort of demonstrating what is the what is the sound doctrine to which we hold. And out in the open, uh, these demonstrate sort of the the historical foundation, the roots of our teaching in the Scripture. And uh, so in no way replacing the scripture, but summarizing sort of in a clear voice, what is it that we have read and understood? What is it that we preach? And this is concerning the fulfillment of the law. Listen carefully. Uh, It's reaching for sort of a whole Bible teaching. We believe that the ceremonies and the symbols of the law have ended with the coming of Christ and that all foreshadowings have come to an end so that the use of them ought to be abolished among Christians. Yet the truth and substance of these things remain for us in Jesus Christ, in whom they have been fulfilled. Nevertheless, we continue to use the witnesses drawn from the law and prophets to confirm us in the gospel and to regulate our lives with full integrity for the glory of God according to his will. This is our confession of faith. We want to see how this principle shows itself in many places in God's Word, but particularly by turning to Acts 15, Acts 15 in the New Testament. As we think about this principle, what has changed with the coming of Christ? And it was a major change for the church, an incredible shift So that when we, for instance, stand at God's table and talk about the new covenant in Christ, uh, it matters then what uh, fulfillment he has brought and what has changed for us in him. So it says in Acts 15, beginning at verse 1, "...but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved." And the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and in Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it seemed good to us, having come to one accord, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time... They were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. This is God's holy word. Dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you read widely in the scripture, when you read in the Old Testament, there are many things there that are hard for us to picture and things that we've never done or maybe even thought of doing. So that it's hard for us to fully imagine maybe what it's like, for instance, to observe the Feast of Booths. Or to imagine what kind of details went into the celebration of the Feast of Trumpets. And some of us, maybe not all of us, are happy to eat shellfish and have had a lobster and have not thought about whether the hoof of the animal we ate was cloven or not, and what that means for purity and so on. We haven't even checked the hoof of the animal we ate. It's hard to imagine uh, the sights and the sounds and the smells of the tabernacle or temple courts with the blood that's being spilt for sacrifices and with the work that goes on, uh, and the, the slaughter and sacrifice of animals, and the smoke of the altar. And we may have only a dim mental picture of how the Passover table looks when it's set, uh, and so on. Many of these things we have never experienced, and yet we are counted as God's beloved people. We are counted as sons and daughters of Abraham. We are counted by virtue of our baptism as circumcised in the heart. And we believe these things according to the word of Christ. Many things that we've never observed or done, uh, and yet we're confident that we are true believers and that we're walking in accord with the word of God, Old and New Testament. That's important for us to have that confidence we're confident that we have the truth and substance of Moses and all of the commands and customs of the Old Testament. So though many of these things are in the Bible and the warnings about them are very stern, and those who didn't do them or have them as their practice were counted as outsiders, they were counted as not a part of God's people, um, we are confident that because of Jesus and the new covenant and the fulfillment that he brings, that we are counted as God's people, and that these practices are not binding on us the way that they were at that time. And all of that has to do with fulfillment in Jesus. Instead, we are sure that they've come to their natural end. They've come to their conclusion. Think of it like a race, you know, the end of a race. It's not something that's thrown out. It's not, when we say they've ended, they're not discarded in an, in an ugly way, but they are satisfied they are filled you have ran you have ran a race and reached its end right you've taken a journey and you 've reached your end and there's no more traveling to do and none of those things that we did on the road um, are now in, you know are now binding on us as we've reached the fulfillment. This is the way we think about these things, and that uh that means that we're thinking about fulfillment. So in the early church, the Jews who accepted Christ, many of them their whole lives, and even after receiving Christ, they were still living according to a mosaic pattern. They were still living according to God's laws and customs, including circumcision and dietary laws and ritual purity, ceremonial cleanliness in a number of ways, Uh, temple worship and sacrifice, and so on. And as God revealed his saving purpose in Jesus, things were rapidly changing, and they were coming to acknowledge that even Gentiles who had no track record of these practices and had not lived this way, they were being engrafted into Christ, and they were a part of his church body receiving his spirit and the cleansing of their hearts and a legitimate place in the covenant. The Jerusalem Council they agreed that the ceremonies and the symbols of the law had given way to fulfillment in Christ, resulting in a light burden on the Gentiles. That's what we're seeing in Acts 15. The Jerusalem Council they believed and they agreed. That the ceremonies and the symbols and the types, as it were, of the Old Testament uh, and the customs of Moses and so on, that these had given way to fulfillment in Christ, resulting in a light burden on the Gentiles. So we want to talk about first the circumcision party problem and then God's clear choice and the encouraging Jerusalem judgment. That's how we're going to walk through these verses we read. After the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit was poured out, you know that Jesus began to build the church in every language and in every place. God had demonstrated the outpouring of his Spirit upon Gentile believers to Peter, who had, who had gone, for instance, to the house of Cornelius, and many Gentiles there believed according to, to God's exact direction for him. And Paul had gone preaching and teaching in many places, so some of those mentioned in just the prior chapters, Caesarea and Antioch and Cyprus and Iconium and Lystra and so on. uh, In these places, Gentiles and Jews alike were believing in Jesus and receiving the Holy Spirit. In chapter 10, we read that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles, and Peter explained in Jerusalem in chapter 11 that only God can do these things. No one can force the Spirit onto anyone. No man can, can make this happen. God has to make it happen. God the Spirit uh, cannot be fooled, and God the Spirit cannot be manipulated. And so Peter said about the, the matter of the Gentiles. I'm not I can't stand in God's way. Like God, you can't give your spirit to them. They haven't done all the things that they should have done, you know, to, to be qualified. God did. Uh, pour out his spirit on them. He said, "I, you know, who am I, Peter, the apostle, who am I to stand in God's way? And the church in Jerusalem took the presence of the Holy Spirit as the clear proof of God's will, that this is from him and in his name. God would never vainly pour out his spirit. So they rejoiced in chapter 11, saying, then, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. That 's what they said about them. Now you can imagine you can imagine that natural and practical tension would be there when a church mixes very different kinds of people. if that 's not evident to us, then we are being you know, immature. if that 's not evident to us, then we 're not understanding the dynamics of this passage. when different kinds of people mix then our pride is lurking to spoil the fellowship between us. You know, we're very different and we, pr- we prefer to have our own way. And, you know, pride is lurking there. And our immature expectations, well, everybody thinks this way and everybody acts this way and everybody does things the way that I think they should be done. We're quickly shocked when, when we find that that's not true. People do very differently than me. They live very differently than me. And it leaves us, uh, in our immaturity and in our expectations in an immature way, it leaves us unprepared to deal with new challenges patiently. We're always shocked. We're always scandalized. We're not able to acknowledge changes and live with them properly. So in the church, it takes great patience and humility for many different kinds of people to be one unified body. And it's no surprise that the early church suffered in many ways and in many places the growing pains and the heartbreaks and the difficulties uh, that it takes to, to honor God above ourselves and to be careful not to subject the church to a wicked influence, to, to lay a burden on the church. I want things to be predictable. I want them to be comfortable. I want them to be dependable and go the way they always have. And I want church to be normal. You know, I, want, I want things to be normal for me. And we find out, well, that's, that's not the, you know, God's commitment or purpose in the church. Um, you know, that's why I titled the sermon the way I did, The Weight of the Normal. Do do I place the weight of what I think is comfortable, normal, right on others that has little to do with what God has said, what God has purposed, the change that he has in mind, um, even radical transformation for both Jew and Gentile alike? We often grapple with this. Do we too much desire things to be normal and tidy and easy to predict and in that way trample on others to have our way? And with that in mind, then, the dynamics of Acts 15 are rather important. Their response to new beliefs, culturally and historically, you know, their response to them is rather important. A group of Jewish men from Judea and from Jerusalem had gone out, you know, so sort of from the mother church, from where things had begun You know, for the Christian witness, you know, Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses, Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Well, this was beyond Samaria, so now we're getting in to the the earth, you know, geographically. Um, People went from the heart of things, from Jerusalem and Judea, to Antioch, where there are many uh, now Jewish and Gentile Christians. This is in the Mediterranean world, further up the coast in Palestine, and you know, can look in your you know, mental map, or if you can't picture it, look in your study Bible. Look at the maps and find Antioch, and you'll see. So they went from Jerusalem and from Judea, and they started teaching. And it appeared that, is, is this the teaching of the church? These people are coming from Jerusalem, and do they bring with them the authority of the church and the authority of the apostles? That was the question. Uh, they started teaching that if someone has faith in Jesus then they must be circumcised and live according to the customs of Moses. Or they can't, they can't have Jesus unless they change their culture, unless they change their ways uh, in these uh, matters, in circumcision and, and some of these customs, how they eat, how they dress, et cetera, uh, how, you know, what, what they uh, culturally do. Um, they must become circumcised and live according to Moses. And the implication then is ceremonial purity, and a drastic change of their culture onto a Jewish track. It estranges them from their whole former life. Not just Christ and the transformation that he brings, but it estranges them from almost everything that they've ever known in order to meet the dietary restrictions and the sacrifices and festivals and so on. These things that are common for centuries for the Jews. So this caused a massive stir in the church, and a significant debate between them, these Jews who had come down from Jerusalem, and Paul and Barnabas, who set off, uh, appointed by the church in Antioch, set off for Jerusalem to settle the matter and to find out, you know, is this, is this uh, going to be the rule you know, among the churches? Imagine, imagine that your friend took a ferry to Fire Island across the bay, and they wanted you to meet them. And so you sailed your sailboat out to meet your friend across the bay. And your friend says, No, 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 I wanted you to meet me here, but not not by that way. Sail back, take the ferry and meet me. That's the right way, you know, to get to this island. And then another friend shows up. He took his motorboat. You know, no, 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 no. motor back to where you came from, get on the ferry and meet me at the island. That's the way you you can arrive on this island. And then another person, amazingly, swims the whole bay and walks out of the water and says, I'm here, you know, I, we have met. And we say, no, 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 swim back, get on the ferry, you know, take the ferry here, then you can meet me, then, then we can all stand together on this island. You say, that, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense to go back to redo uh, that, that travel. The Lord had poured out his spirit on many Jews at the time of Pentecost, and they had all approached from a certain direction. They had approached through Moses, the Old Testament customs of Moses, and they had arrived now at the goal of those customs, faith in Jesus. And for those under the law, that is, under the, the Mosaic you know, law, they had arrived at its true end, and that's a wonder, And that's full of the Spirit of God. What a blessing. Repent and believe in Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit that God pours. And they had received his Spirit. And Pentecost was a a great and joyful celebration of that life. But now these others who were showing up from many different directions, boat, plane, submarine, swim, whatever it is, they're showing up. And God uh, has given them his spirit, he sealed his spirit to them, and they were not second class. And their mode of arrival was really not the question. But it was clear that that God has, by giving his spirit, he has received them, he has affirmed them, all of them also justified by faith in Jesus Christ, God showing no distinction between us and them, that is, between Jew and Gentile. All of them had his spirit, though outwardly they were very different indeed. You know, can, can we accept that thought in the church, that incoming believers are as valuable as we are, that, that they are our equals, that by virtue of that spirit and by virtue of the same, you know, baptism that we have received, they are fellow heirs, children of God. Or are we only able, in a manner of speaking, to receive, receive them as subordinates, you know, uh, and it's more like, you know, hey, I have seniority. I was here first, and now you're here, and, you know, you'll get up to speed eventually, but there's a sort of second class, you know, like the, like the job environment. You know, I have, I have my tenure, I have my seniority, and those that are received here, you know, that's great. That's nice. The work needs to go on. But, you know, there's, there's a pecking order. Well, that matters, that matters to the church deeply, and this is, you know, this is a test of the attitude of the Christian church. So in the second section of this chapter, verses 6 to 21, the apostles and the elders of the church in Jerusalem gathered together along with Paul and Barnabas to discuss this matter. For peace in the church, what is right in God's eyes? What is a spiritual response? And they wisely discerned God's clear choice. God had made a choice, says Peter. So what did they do? They openly debated the matter, and look what was persuasive to them. Peter described the revelation that God had made plain to him and the resulting actions of the Holy Spirit that were plain to see. The Gentiles had believed the word of God in truth, And God cannot be fooled. He knew their hearts. You know, God who knows their hearts gave them the spirit. It's not a show. But God saw into them, and he did not withhold. And it's not vanity. uh, But he poured out his spirit to them, and it says, cleanse their hearts by faith. That's no small matter. That's what we have received in Christ in whatever condition, those who believe in him, if put their faith in Jesus, their hearts are changed. So Paul and Barnabas then went still further. They related the further spiritual signs that God had shown through their preaching and teaching among the Gentiles in many places. And finally, James compared what they had said and done to the prophets who came before. That is, uh, he judged that that everything that they had said and every spiritual matter that they had related was in obvious agreement with the word of God, the word of God that had come through prophets like Amos and Jeremiah and Isaiah and Daniel. And so what was their measure? How were they persuaded about what to do? Well, it was according to God's word and spirit. Very plain things. And it's my great hope that we would be careful to think the way that these men thought and to reason the way that they reason and to respect the things that they respect and be firmly rooted in the Christian life. What has God said in his word? What has the prophetic word shown us about our lives and about the challenges we face and about our culture and about you know, different possible conflicts and tensions and divisions? How do we settle them? And what is more, do we see our answers to such questions as plainly bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which we're aware of the fruits of the Spirit, not for division and discord, not for pride of place and and, uh, asserting ourselves over others, but instead for the love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, unity in the body in a way that's full of the Holy Spirit, it shows these fruits. Lord willing, we would we would look for these marks in every decision, and then willingly and zealously and joyfully submit to them. If we would reason uh, in this way, we would stand on a firm foundation, and it would be well with us. You know, they say later to the Gentiles in their letter, "You would do well." You know, if you if you uh, receive this from us, and this is what we we want to do well. According to the word of God and his spirit, do I perceive a proper spiritual response to a problem or to a barrier or a decision in my life? And what does God's word say? And if I'm not sure, am I ready, you know, as it were, to reason with other Christians, particularly, right, with the leaders of my church, to help discern a spiritual pathway Openly talk through these things and then come to spiritual answers grounded in the Word of God. What a crown of wisdom that would be to us to think this way and to act this way and to show the humility that it takes to reason with others and not say, you know, I'll keep my own counsel and I'll do what I want, how I want, when I want. Well, in this case, the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, they discern a pleasing and encouraging pathway forward for the mixed jewish and gentile church uh, now full of faithful believers spiritual believers who love and put their faith in jesus we call that as it were the encouraging jerusalem judgment they they did not place the many commands and regulations of moses on the gentile believers but a light burden a, a minuscule burden by comparison to what some had stood up to say they've got, you know, they, they need circumcision and they need the customs of Moses. And by comparison, they, they put the weight of a feather on the backs of the Gentile believers, and that's important. They they loved them uh, in a way that led to freedom. So their, their request to the Gentiles was. Uh, the transformation of Christ for you, rather than submitting again to, you know, to a, a, a yoke uh, of any kind. The transformation of Jesus, rather than an unnecessary Jewish total makeover. The Gentile believers, they don't have to worry first, go, you know, going back and redoing, as it were. They don't have to worry about the outward signs of Moses under the, uh, you know, under the law, like circumcision and purity and other customs, that change of life would have meant uh, sort of complete upheaval of their family life, their culture, uh, their, their work. They should instead, according to the council, abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood the Jerusalem Council of Leaders had boiled things down to a very simple thought for peace in the body, particularly among the Jews uh, of Judea and Samaria and even up to Antioch. Uh, They had answered favorably for unity in these mixed churches of Jew and Gentile. This simplified list of commands seems to have two types. Some of them are provisions uh, that call for peace uh, in relation to Jew and Gentile, as it, uh, as it reflects on idolatrous Gentile worship that's going on all around them. Um, idolatrous worship practices that stain and pollute the culture of their time. These we have to avoid. And also in eating, um, avoid the most odious offenses to your Jewish brothers and sisters, strangled animals and, and blood still in the meat. This is often associated with idolatry, but it's, it goes a little further to bear with the Jews in the simplest way regarding the restrictions that they continue to live under. Uh, so there's consideration of their fellow believers there. These would be measures that are the lightest way to bear with one another And to be gracious with one another. And these signs uh, would show respect uh, for a church that is mixed of Jew and Gentile. And for Jewish brothers and sisters that are continuing a vigorous observance of many Mosaic customs. And the second type of concern is a broader reminder. Uh, It's universally applicable to all Christians everywhere to flee from sexual immorality be careful to abstain from sexual immorality this was also associated with idolatrous worship true but james words going on in verse 21 speaking about how moses is proclaimed everywhere seem to point to the moral law that's binding on all and this is a this is a acknowledgement of this and maybe a particular temptation of the gentiles you know, a sexual ethic among the Gentiles that is very sort of open and ungodly, That that is an area of particular concern. And the moral law applies to all Christians equally. So the issue here is one total spiritual transformation is enough. That's enough for all of us. It's enough for every believer. And it happens... Not through circumcision and not through any outward observance. It, 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 it rather happens by faith in Jesus and no other way. One transformation is enough. One transformation is difficult enough. And adding on a, another heavy backpack of burden, of, but by the way, this, 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 and this also do, uh, would be too much for anyone. The the faith of the Gentiles made them eager to obey. But one rebirth is enough. One rebirth is radical. And it's full of the power of the same Holy Spirit, no matter what language you speak, no matter what region in which you were born. All of the truth and the substance of Moses is found in Jesus. It's not a double standard for the church, it's a standard that's seen rightly through Christ. And the Gentiles must demonstrate that the love of their hearts, according to their own situation in life, the love of their hearts is nevertheless for Christ and for one another, no less than what the Jews were required to do, but no more either. And that will be their new Christian culture living sacrificially in Jesus. So the believers in Antioch, they rejoiced over this letter as a great encouragement. We have to understand, when they received this, they received it as the lightest touch. You treated us so gently. You thought, you thought of us with love and not with an exacting, gripping attitude. And it was a great encouragement to them. Their faith makes them ready to embrace a holy life in Christ. Eager, all of us eager, the Gentiles too, to bear with one another and to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace like the apostles taught. Their faith made them ready, ready to show self-control in Jesus and carry his cross in the face of idolatry, in the face of sexual immorality, in the face of pride and greed and all wicked things. And they would do it, but they saw the care of the council for them, rather than a great weight placed on their back. You know, dumped on them. You know, figure it out. Follow all this stuff. Get back to us. You know, um, that's that's. It's a beautiful thing that happened here. The believers in Jerusalem had reaffirmed the gospel of faith in Jesus Christ, rather than some warmed over um, you know reboot of the law of Moses placed on the back of every new Gentile Christian. And by faith, we have embraced the truth and the substance of Moses. In fact, by faith, we have embraced the deeper and more difficult task that goes down to the depths of our souls. It's a difficult task that we have embraced. Not an easier one and not a double standard for the church. So all of us need to embrace this. The Apostle Peter, he admitted with humility in front of all the Jews, and this is no throwaway statement, why, why would we throw on their backs the law that neither we or our fathers have kept perfectly? You know, how can that be the answer? And why would we put God to the test and say, here's this thing that not even we can keep. Let's throw that on the Gentiles uh, this, you know, as well as us, knowing full well we can't, we can't, and have not kept it perfectly. We need faith in Jesus Christ, and so do they. This is Peter's reasoning before all the Jews. No one will be justified by the law. We weren't, and neither would they. We're justified through faith in Jesus, and Him only. All alike saved graciously. All alike given a spirit that we could not grasp for ourselves or take to ourselves, but was graciously given by God. So the Jewish Christians should strive for lawful purity. That is the law of Moses represented in the covenant of circumcision. They should strive for purity, and so should the Gentile. And wisdom will call for the different sacrifices that each one should make. So what is, you know, maybe one of the results. So what if the Gentile believers, for instance, keep their same style of dress? You know, how how they dress themselves. There's no tassels on their garments like the Jews. There's no, you know, there's no requirements on them the way that, you know, the Jews would dress according to Moses. The Gentiles, too, need the object of those rules, they, too, must avoid the pride and the temptation of, you know, of, of owning and wanting the finest things you know, of clothing and jewelry and so on. Uh, they, they, too, need to avoid the vanity of outward beauty instead of the, the heart that has a gentle and quiet spirit, for instance. They, too, must be careful not to live vainly and in self-indulgence. And think about the purity of their hearts as the true projection of what it's like to know and to love Jesus. Striving for purity against immodesty in a pornographic culture, which was true of their time also. Striving. That's their spiritual task. How is that less? How is that that, uh, in any way dishonorable? God makes no distinction. They're all called to that same way of thinking. So what, right? The, the Gentiles believe, and so they continue to eat pork. They continue to eat pigs. They eat a lobster. I don't know if there are lobsters in the Mediterranean. I guess only Bill would know. He's not here today. Um, they, they have to strive with the truth and the substance of God's word in their, in their eating. We have to strive with this. We're called, as it were, you know, not to not to live as it were in self-indulgence and gluttony. Careful not to be wasteful or squander God's gifts that are represented in, in you know sort of our willingness to accept from God daily bread. And we're careful not to go beyond that in an extravagant way. And we're careful also to depend upon Him and be thankful for what we have. They too should share hospitality with those who cannot share back with them in return. They should work hard with their hands also so they have something to share with those in need. They should be careful not to let any habits about their food and drink and celebration trample over the goodness of God or, or become a celebration of profane idolatry. So their yoke, that is the burden they bear, a yoke is something an ox would wear when he pulls a weight, you know, like a cart. The yoke is Christ, and not one of Jewish custom. The burdens on them are Christ, which is the heart of the Mosaic law. No distinction between the two. Love and devotion to God that comes from the inside out. Every time we talk about the law and, and what's binding on us, in, you know, for instance, in the Ten Commandments... It it all is aimed there. This is no different. So when we reach out to new disciples, wisdom tells us that we're calling out for a mysterious kind of transformation. We're calling them to repent and to believe in Jesus, whose whose life and whose truth brings a spiritual rebirth and and a total renewal and transformation from the inside out, our hearts and minds first, and ultimately uh, glorifying even our bodies at the proper time. But we're not asking them to automatically, by becoming a Christian, uh, you know, go back and undo all of your life. We have to dump our sins and uproot them. We have to dump our pride and uproot them. But we don't have to disavow our family, deny mother and father, uh, we don't necessarily have to immediately go out and quit our job and every hobby we ever had, and, and change the way we look and dress, and shave our mustache or grow a mustache. Or you know, we don't have to. We don't have to add on top of the transformation of the spirit, man-made transformations and burdens. That's not in any way the goal of the gospel you know so what is it that god has in mind for us is to become like jesus all of us from whatever condition we have come to know him and you know so some changes will be radical and some you know people couldn't look at you just standing on the corner as they drive by and say oh look at the transformation <laughs> look at look at how they've changed they're a christian for sure it's like well it's it's not seen always just by sight it's something that has to do with the heart and with the character and with the spirit that christ gives and so we think this way when christ has become our everything in all lesser things there is great freedom when christ has become our everything in all lesser things we show patience in all lesser things we endure In all lesser things, we show gentleness. So as a church body, we want to be careful about our impact on new believers. We want them to get the most of Christ and the best of us. That's important. It's important. Not a heavy demand from us and little of Jesus. That would be a failure in in the eyes of of the apostles and what has uh, been accomplished in Acts 15 the most of Christ, and the best of us. So how can we love and encourage new believers to race into Jesus and grow and remove every hindrance from them? How can we welcome them and speed them on in spiritual joy and with this you know, asterisk, and carefully, patiently, gently, with compassion, suspend our critique of lesser priorities You know, if if Christ is becoming your light, if He is becoming your everything, if you are being transformed in Him, then what you eat and drink and wear and 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 your your work and many many, you know many things are priority B or priority Q. They are they are much lower on the list compared to uh, the 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 heart bound change that god has in mind and so we'll be careful this is so important that first things are first that they would have the most of jesus with the lightest burden that we can place on them about everything that's second everything that's that comes after and in this way um, we need wisdom and maturity to uh, to have the older Encourage the younger, not place heavy burdens on them, older men to younger men, older women to younger women, parents to their children, long-time disciples to new disciples, to receive them with compassion. And that takes wisdom and maturity on our part, to know what's most needed and to lay off on some of the things that can wait. That's a very difficult thing. And it will show that we have contentment to humble ourselves like the council and say about ourselves, you know, we, we are not going to major on the things that we, even we can't do. But instead, we'll be careful to honor Christ and what's first. We will, we will show the humility that they showed and the wisdom that they showed as they dealt with others. And we'll think about ourselves the right way. Who are we to do anything except joyfully and humbly receive new believers even as more significant than ourselves, putting their needs before our needs. This would be pleasing to God. Then we would do well, showing them more of Christ, giving them, offering them sacrificially, the best of us at their service, and all of it bringing glory to the name of Jesus before the watching world. Amen. Heavenly Father, hear our prayer for wisdom and discernment that we could be careful not to strain and to stress the divisions of the church, but rather, Lord, in every way to lift the burdens of others, not to contribute in any way to a rift or to division in the church, but instead to be a healing influence and very compassionate, very patient, very gentle and meek in the way we deal with others. Jesus being meek Jesus being mild, Jesus being humble in a way that is incredible, in a way that is uh, for a proud world impossible, but in the church is the model. So, Heavenly Father, we pray for the kind of faith and the kind of um, honor uh, within the church that looks to Jesus first and is very careful to encourage the weak, not to to snuff out the smoldering wick or break the bruised reed, as your word has said, but to show compassion, overwhelming love for others. That is ultimately a demonstration uh, in close-up of our love for you. Hear our prayer, Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.